Mistress Hecuba explores intimacy through cathartic pain and alarming psychodrama. BDSM is a structure that holds the space for the bizarre, the uncomfortable, and any lustful perversions that are either raging to be seen or lying dormant in the depths of the psyche. Some of her favorite forms of play teach her new things and push against the boundaries and limits of her submissives. She seeks an experience with her submissives and craves to see them in all their complexity and raw humanity. You can find Mistress Hecuba on Twitter and Instagram at Mistress Hecuba. So let me just say how a little bit about how I met and got to start getting to know Mistress Hecuba. This fellow prodom and I started this like in-person social for for fellow prodoms in Chicago. And let me just say that everybody is awesome. You know, like it's an intriguing group of people, Mistress Hecuba included. And I think right away, you know, we like talked about getting coffee which as you know like just like never happens when you say that like it's so hard because we live on different parts of the city and we're super busy between clients and other work but I'm super grateful that I've, I've had the chance of working with her in a couple of ways we've seen clients together and having doing double sessions just Ah, it's such an insight into, you know, the way that somebody works and like, it can be so awe-inspiring just to see like how, how they work with clients and Hecuba is like no exception, you know, just like the, what she pulls out. Uh, We've only seen, we've only seen one client, but like the, what she pulled out of him. And then we, we've recorded together. And the reason I bring all this up is like, Recording these films and audio files together, Mrs. Hecuba has a very specific, delightful, very creative form of sadism that doesn't always come out with everybody. Like it's mental and weird. And she talks a lot about the beauty of the perverse in such a way that the perverse becomes a spiritual experience. I've talked a lot about shadow play on this podcast and because I think that that's where that's super what the left-handed journey is all about. Like if you're going to explore desires, you're going to explore the dark sides of things, the things that, that scare us. And I would consider Mr. Hecuba an expert in the things that learning how to love the things that we fear. So I want to set that up. So Hakiba, to start, we, we've heard a little bit about who you are. Why do you think it attracts specific clients to you? And what is a good client for you? Mm. Um, well, first, thank you for having me on. Can you hear me? Yes, I am getting my good. dog water. I muted, but yes, my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the clients that are attracted to me are the ones who really want to explore deep humiliation and degradation and also their own masochism though a lot of my clients would not call themselves masochists they would call themselves terminology that we use um slut uh bitch um worm those sorts of things to sort of really you know, sort of say how they feel about themselves in their service. And so there's a lot of, I would say, 
shame work that they're wanting to do. And I think because that's something that really interests me about kink, I project it. And even though I don't say specifically, like, I'm really, I mean, no, that's not true. I've, I've, I have done some marketing where I'm like, fuck your shame. <laughs> totally. But, but I think because it's, it, taboo is a major motivator for me, along with power exchange. Control is my, my um, oldest and biggest fetish. But I, I think that they're drawn to, I think they're drawn to that just because there's so much similarity in a lot of my, I would say more involved clients, you know, the ones who are really routinely looking for an interaction with me and wanting to really go into deeper places and really want to please me and help me um, make my life better. Those are really like like the quality clients. And a lot of them are really very much into degradation. Mm. Yeah. Is the shame work the spiritual part for you? And I'm curious, like, you know, what I really want to ask you is like, how can degradation play be spiritual for you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you said it really well in just now in the introduction where, well, I'll say this. Sometimes it's really hard for me to use words to describe my thoughts around just all of the interplay, the just beautiful interplay of benefits that we get from going to uncomfortable places and how all of those things fit into spirituality. It's really like it's sort of outside my wheelhouse to some degree, but I will definitely say that playing with shame in a role play specifically and in a power dynamic, it creates a space where you are free and supported at the same time. You're that structure, that BDSM structure, that it gives you that freedom to dip your toe either, I don't know, you can dip your toe into the shallow end or cannonball into the, into the deep end and see what happens. But someone is there with you, you know, kind of almost like the lifeguard of the pool, if we're going to do the pool analogy, you know, like a lifeguard. I'm informed about safety. I can pull you out of the pool. I can yell at you to stop walking, you know, stop running on the, on the deck of the pool, you know, just sort of all the things that lifeguards do save your life, you know, God forbid. But I feel like because that space is existing within a power dynamic and the focus really is on the submissive focusing on me Mm. and what I want over time you're really, when, if you are truly, if we're we're truly working together, the ego has to take a back seat. Theirs does. Mine, mine does too. Uh, It doesn't, it's not just the submissive in order to do this work. I mean, you know, this, you have to put your ego to the side completely. There cannot be, there's, there's just no room or, you know, or you just need to be really aware of when it pops up for you. But with the, with the ego being put to the side, they're in a much more meditative place. They're able to kind of get outside their head, outside of their, their needs and their wants, and they're just following me. And that creates a lot of space for, you know, hopefully some freedom to fall into those places that are normally avoided, you know, sort of 
Yeah. As we do, you know, we through our day, we feel something come up, we want to avoid it. But there's um, that safety when you can find it, when you find a dominant who you feel like really is a good helper in those instances, you know, and obviously, specifically, this, this is a very specific kind of play. But I think in any kind of kink play, you can have these moments. But I think that when it's going well, and there is that freedom to fall into those holes that as a top witnessing that and hopefully you know we're in this energy exchange where they feel supported and that they can go and sort of do these more scary things it reminded me of the scene in i forget which star wars movie where luke is working with yoda and there's the dark part of the forest that he's super attracted to. Yeah. But, but what's interesting is, you know, like Yoda tells him like, it's, does it, I think this is right. Right. That it's a place he has to go alone, Mm -hmm. which is, it's sort of now looking back, it's like, no, no, you don't, you don't have to do any of that by yourself. Like where does that come from that we have to do the dark work? alone Uh, yeah well I think I mean I can see how so for me when I saw that part in the movie I thought that Luke was still supported by Yoda Mm, even but like yeah like like that's really dark work you know you you know all you know when it all comes down to it we are alone but when you know that there's somebody waiting outside the cave and has kind of led you to this point a seemingly scary place but that in order to really kind of discover who you are I don't know if we're pulling way more out of this sort of George Lucas's <laughs> intention than, than you're not met, the but, first to philosophize but, you know <laughs> oh yeah yeah but I mean I, I but I uh I kind of thought that sort of Yoda had his back regard regardless of whether yeah. Luke died in that moment or not like that yeah. wasn't really like, you know, we're all going to die at some point, but, uh, you know, nobody that knowing that there is a little green dude waiting for you outside the cave, if you make it back out. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. and I, guess, I guess thinking about it, like if, if that's a headspace, right. Like mm-hmm. You can guide somebody maybe to that headspace, but ultimately yeah. I think, yeah. clients have to be able to come to us and know what they need. You know? Yeah, no, it's it's a big ask. It is, and and what I'm describing is kind of like what I want, mm. what I'm going for, you know, ideally. But it, it doesn't always happen, and definitely doesn't happen the first time I play with someone. I mean, I yeah, no, I haven't had that experience yet. First time, it's usually kind of like figuring out, you know, what their body, what their mind's going to do, because uh, everybody fibs on their application in some degree. Yeah. So. Yeah. I definitely have had things go there like intentionally mm. like I, and clients have come to me saying like, I want to be punished for this thing or I want to explore this thing. And I'm like, well, buckle mm. your seatbelt. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it yeah, works. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, Cause I, I don't know. I love interrogation scenes like so much. Mm. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, they are so good. They are so good. <laughs> um that point you know sometimes the whole 
the whole, I don't know why, but the whole Norse notion, even though some, okay, so I am super, um, and I don't know if we can say this, like I'm super into like rape play. Um, I just absolutely love it. And um, I'm actually now starting to attract submissives who are really into this idea of like either mm. being forced or being taken or something like that. But yeah. uh, no, lost my train of thought there. Um, my brain kind of was like, oh, great play. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You, uh, I apologize. No. So I don't know. It seems like a big ask to, to, for you to talk about like what ap- attracts you about it. I don't know. Are you up for that? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so I am a sadomasochist. Uh, like specifically my earliest memories are of sticking my finger into a light socket. Now this is back in the seventies. So the light socket uh, holes were a lot bigger. And so, uh, you know, a a toddler could get their finger into it and I would sit there and I would just routinely zap myself and get in trouble for it for some odd reason. I'm not sure why, but well, I mean, it's not a good idea for kids to be doing that, but being punished for it always seemed weird, but I am very much, uh, into the physical and the mental aspects of like, you know, emotional or physical pain. And I do have, uh, trauma in my background. And I definitely think that kink has allowed me a place to play with it like a toy almost a sort of objectively picking something up and observing it and looking at it and thinking, what can I keep here? And what do I really just don't benefit from at all? You know, and, and therapy did the bulk of work of sort of skills as far as, you know, objectively looking at uh, painful events and things like that. But kink has really been the place where, I would say a, a vast amount of my growth has come from just because, because I am a sadomasochist and the way that I experience things are it's, I, I learn more from doing things like physically. And I feel like when I'm in the dungeon with someone I can pick and choose what I kind of want to get into mentally or physically and explore it, you know, cause dominance, well, professional dominance, that's going to be a little different. You're really responsible there. Um, you need your, you know, you need your a game as much as possible, but there are still opportunities to really delve either watching someone experience something and, you know, something comes up for you. I mean, obviously there's not time to process it right then and there, but you definitely are like, Ooh, that's interesting. You kind of put it away in a box and then later maybe journal about it or think about it, turn around your head or come back to it again later in another session, kind of explore. And a lot of these are just sort of ephemeral emotional states that, you know, I explore and a lot of it is from watching submissives be degraded and it's not that we're reenacting anything like that, you know, cause most of the play is, you know, I'm transforming somebody into a rubber doll or a puppy or a baby or um, um, a sissy or something like that. And, and 
So it's not going back and trying to recreate anything from my past. It's more, let's get into however we can. Let's hack this emotional state. Let's see if we can get into it via alternative means and get in there and kind of sit in all of its messiness and then step out and then step back in. And, you know, and the bonus with a lot of kink play is that you can incorporate uh, physical pleasure or uh, pain. And for me, as a sadomasochist, it's cut, like pain and pleasure are sometimes so closely linked that it's hard to pick them apart. But yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, I think so. Like it was a very circuitous, right? We were mm-hmm. talking about rape play. Um, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I, it leads to sort of two questions or thoughts. One being that it feels like there's there's often in society like these quote unquote appropriate ways to work with trauma and then inappropriate ways to work with trauma, right? And mm-hmm. um, kink is often considered like a dangerous way of working with trauma or inappropriate. And I, I'm curious, like what you're, do you have just like this built-in inherent response to this sort of judgment about how you should work with trauma? Yeah. I, well, for first, first of all, if I'm working with someone and even just with myself, like I am not a therapist, I do not pretend to be one. I, I, you know, I think because I've done a lot of work on myself, I know this sort of boundary that a submissive tries to cross in order to sort of access you for more intimacy or, you know, sort of trying to get you know, a little bit more coddled or or something like that, that they're trying to emotionally connect with you in some way, but it's slightly inappropriate. Like I, I know when that line's being across, then I will just sort of reassert so that they understand that they can't do that. And usually it's, it takes like once or twice. And if obviously if somebody's pushing a boundary, then it's like, you know what, I think we're done. But I would say for the most part, everyone is, I mean, at least the clients I try to bring to me and keep, uh, understand these nuances as well, um, either from their own therapy, you know, skill building, because that's what therapy is, is just skill building, learning how to do all these little things that we're talking about. But as far as kink in or trauma, you know, working with somebody who has trauma around something and they want to bring it into their kink play, again, it's not reenacting anything we're not trying to go back to that point where daddy, you know, did something or, you know, mommy ignored you. That to me is not interesting. And it's also sounds, it, it, that also just kind of is a bit scary and not a good idea. That's for therapy. That's what the specialist who's able to, you know, with training to you know, take you back and visit in this sort of very safe therapeutic environment. when. I know that a client had a father who was homophobic and um, let's say he's also bisexual, you know, bisexual and wants to explore humiliation around being a quote unquote faggot. There's more than enough there to get him into the headspace that he's looking for. And, you know, and nobody's, none of these clients that I have are trying to get back to that trauma. What they want to do is they want to be free to enjoy those feelings 
uh, the, that humiliation that they experienced that was sexualized when they were little. We naturally, as humans, will sexualize something that we don't understand. Kids do it all the time. But what we can do as adults is remove these parts, you know, take them out of their context and play with them and bring it into a whole new scenario outside of this traumatic event and kind of tinker with it in a way where you can kind of almost do a little bit of rewiring. You know, like, yes, I do, you know, I am a, I am a queer person, you know, this sort of, this client that I'm thinking of specifically, you know, um, bisexual person who was humiliated by his dad, but he really wants to be humiliated around, you know, as sort of being secretive that he really likes Dick and um, he wants his mistress to just train him to be the best, you know, blowjob giver for her and he will just do it for her, you know, sort of. So he gets to experience the humiliation within this sort of sexual context. So he gets what he wants out of it. It really has the potential. Kink has the potential to really help us move through with some very good skills we've learned from therapy, bringing all of that stuff into this kink space, this structure, and rewrite some narratives and, you know, some beliefs, some behaviors that we had in the past and make new ones and grow Uh, from that. I like that. I think the one thing that I would maybe push or push back on just slightly is that um, I don't think that folks are necessarily trying to get back to a very specific trauma moment. But, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, no. An emotion, definitely not a moment um, and, a, and a feeling. Right. Like there's yeah. that the environment or the feeling that cause that is enveloped by trauma. Mm-hmm. That's what we play with, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and sometimes it, I don't know. I mean, you know, there are times where it's, it's hard to know if we're pushing too hard or not, but I think that so much of trauma is about a loss of control. Yeah. That I think what I love about about kink is that it's it's a very intentional set of aspects of control that give it a sense of safety, you know. And mm-hmm. and that there's still we still have to be playing with somebody who takes that very seriously and who we yeah. we yeah. have like this trust built up that, you know, they're not going to abuse this vulnerability. Yeah, no, that's why it's important to find somebody who you really connect with and can trust. You know, it's someone who demonstrates over and over that they are interested in intentionally stepping into responsibility, that they assert their boundaries, um, because a lot of, not just submissives, but people in general, they're sort of like how kids do, they sort of push on a boundary to kind of see you know, where the outer edges are. And uh, that's like, for me, why brats are actually kind of fun to play with because they, they're so good at that. They're so good at sort of figuring out where it is they can exist and play. And then of course, you know, they do it over and over again, but it's fun to watch. 
it's fun to watch. I don't, I don't find them problematic at all. I know the brats are not, I think they're misunderstood, but. Um, so thinking about control, I feel like I'm constantly shifting my relationship with the idea of control, you know, and this mm. is going to be like a weird tangent, but. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wonderful. <laughs> okay, great. So when I was going through a pretty bad breakup a couple of years ago, I found this book by a Buddhist teacher that, that I like, Susan Piver, who, who wrote a book about healing from a broken heart. And it really helped me, like gave me the courage to break up with somebody. And then my next broken heart, like I, I read it and it, it just helped ease that transition, you know? Mm. But there's this passage in it where she's talking to um, a friend of hers who's this, a translator of wisdom texts. And she asks him specifically in his lifelong study of the core teachings of all religions. Okay. A lot of people believe that by thinking positively and expecting good things to happen, you can make things happen. So she asked him like, is, is that an idea in these sacred texts? And here's his response that I've thought so much about. The teaching of every one of the great sacred texts is that control is an illusion. When you Mm. understand that ultimately you you are not the doer, you can step back from yourself. That is the Mm. only path to serenity. In other words, letting go of the illusion of control and realizing Mm. that you have never had control in the first place Uh allows you to live in the most dazzlingly intelligent, beautiful, and kind reality that you could ever have imagined. And beyond oh. what you could have imagined. And I love this idea. And when I'm going through a really hard time, I, this is this idea that I think like, well, the universe can take care of me if I, if I let it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then of course, like I immediately end up getting hurt in some way. Um, oh, yeah. and I feel like as a pro-dom and as a kingster, like I really play with this idea of control of like creating a safer space for somebody by, by setting up control mechanisms Mm. and I create boundaries for myself. Like I've done other sex work that I was not comfortable with because I didn't have the same amount of control, expected control over my body with them, you know, and like control has these these avenues of control have given me so much confidence and an insight and yet there comes a point when it's like but is control still an illusion and so i'm curious just from your perspective like like as someone who also like dives into control from a prodom and a kingster's perspective like i don't know what what do you think about this dichotomy of like yeah, control being an illusion, but still being an asset. Yeah. Um, I would say the control to me is kind of like, it operates almost like theater, but I don't know if that's the best analogy, but. Um, I like it though. That's interesting. But how, you know, these sort of various actors are participating in, in this farce. But the quote that you read reminded me of this meme that I saw this morning that was talking kind of about it's this person on Twitter that I follow. That's their feed is pretty much about sort of these big, those bigger concepts um, that that writer was talking about concepts of control and, you know, what does it mean to be human and what is 
uh, you know, who are you and what is personality? We you know what are all of these really kind of ephemeral kind of concepts. And but he was he shared this meme. It was hilarious. It's this stick figure drawing of a person sitting on the toilet, and mm-hmm. it says, I think it pretty much said like the universe says this is the only person who knows what they're doing. <laughs> is the per- is the person taking a poop? And nice. I was like, that, yeah, that's really. You know, that, that that's that's what we know is that we, we need to eat, um, we need to poop, we need to, you know, we need to interact with other people, um, and the rest of it's kind of like construct, it's theater, it's, it's, um, it's rituals, it's traditions, it's layers and layers and layers of people doing one thing one way, and, you know, just sort of the organic process that society has and I think that um particularly just does a really poetic job of turning all of that you know sort of exposing it for what it is and in the best case scenario equalizes everything and reduces everything down to kind of like that guy on the toilet and I also think that's why kink has this sort of you know when people think about kink they kind of think about naughty dirty dark you know, even though it doesn't need to be any of those things, but a lot of people that, you know, you think about BDSM and people automatically think about like whips, you know, cruel intentions. But when it comes down to it, we're just acting out these fantasies, these archetypes, these stereotypes, these social constructs that, you know, the concept of the slut, you know, the sort of, you know, all of that in the, and those kinds of you know, non-consensual oppressive forms of control. Yeah. I mean, like power is crazy. Power is real and it's, you know, real in the sense of we're all affected by it. Yeah. Like control may be yeah. an illusion. Power definitely is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, people are, there's, you know, you could think of a million examples of power and just how it's something we take for granted. And when I'm in a space with a submissive, I do not take any of that for granted. I, you know, I, I earn that. And that's something I remind submissives too, is that I earn this trust. You don't just give this to me. Yeah. You know, submissive so quick to give me trust. It's like, I don't know this. That's a red flag. It's like, I don't understand what's, I don't think you understand what's going on here. <laughs> right, right. You know, like I want to get to dark, deep, crazy, twisted, messy shit. Cause that's where it's fun for me, you know, and if you just want to sort of dive into the deep end with me and without really getting to know me, like, you know, what are we really doing here? Um, you know, is this, is it, are you just kind of wanting to hump the leg of your fantasy? Cause that's not what I'm interested in. You can go do that with somebody else. Um, you can go do that at home, <laughs> go watch some porn and go do that at home. Uh, yeah. Just um, somebody who doesn't really regard the serious is kind of a intense word here but it is because your safety your mental and your physical safety is i mean to me it's paramount and then you know i i don't actually want someone to be destroyed my main goal with play professional play specifically i mean also my personal play but in my professional play it's really pinpointed down to 
no matter how deep and fucked up it gets during our play, I want you to leave in a better state. Whatever that looks like for you. And that's about it. Okay. We talk a lot about play, like play. All of this is play. And mm. there's a book called finite and finite and infinite games by James Cars. And mm. he writes to be playful is not to be trivial or frivolous or to act as though nothing of consequence will happen. On the contrary, when we are playful with each other, we relate as free persons and the mm. relationship is open to surprise. Everything that happens is of consequence. It is yeah. in fact seriousness that closes itself to consequence for seriousness is a dread of the unpredictable is a dread of the unpredictable outcome of open possibility to be serious is to press for a specified conclusion to be playful is to allow for possibility whatever the cost to oneself yeah i know i love it so much yeah it reminds me of this um this concept or just this knowledge that when kids are playing they're not like farting around and you know like we we they right. are they are they are engaged they are learning it's a learning and growth experience when they're playing they're right. trying things out they're you know pretending to be a princess and what that might be like they're yeah. they're pretending they're like a time lord and they're you know they are invading another planet and what that might feel like you know that i don't know who said it i think maybe it was midori that said uh you know kink is basically kids you know child play but with just very you know grown up toys which is as you put it, like not, not trivial. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to come back to this. Like, I think a lot of times in my podcast, I, tr I try to directly to bring in spirituality when who, who the fuck knows what spirituality is or means, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I think for me, spirituality very specifically is, is like healing and loving work and, and service to others and stuff. But um, mm. but it's also, I think this, this sense of how do we get outside of our norm to experience life freshly yeah. and learn how to experience joy and bliss, which mm -hmm. takes play, you know, in some mm -hmm. form. So, so I agree that like, kink often is seen as this very dark thing and it can be you know and we can go to those places it doesn't even need to involve pain and I went through this whole no. period where I was mm. like can we just like use the um, framework of BDSM of like negotiation of creating scenes and just find things that are delightful mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. you know oh yeah no I, t I I love doing scenes where it's it's innocent yeah. um, even like um doing age play where you're just helping someone reparent themselves, you know, mm -hmm. and the beauty and the innocence of the only thing that you need to worry about is finish your coloring book, you know, like, um, and having a snack while mommy's sitting next to you and, you know, telling you that she loves you like it. I mean, fuck, that's, that's fun. But yeah. I would say that as a sadomasochist for me, 
pain is an integral part Mm -hmm. of my experience and I don't need it in my professional play, but I definitely need aspects of it in Mm -hmm. my personal play, whether it's uh, emotional masochism or physical and, but that's my experience. So yeah, when somebody, you know, when, when someone is saying pain doesn't need to be an important part of BDSM, I'm like, yeah, totally. But for me, it's an essential part. Mm -hmm. It's an essential part for me. It's that it's like I was saying before that the pleasure and the pain are almost woven together. I've been trying to meet more sadomasochists and actually I just stumbled across three in the same day and they're all women within the Midwest area. I'm like, we got to (laughs) meet because I've been wanting to talk to other sadomasochists about just their own experience around what is pleasurable and what is painful. What's good pain? What's bad pain? And, you know, how do you know the difference? You know, that those are really interesting interesting questions to me, but, but yeah, no, it, um, kink can be a place where it is just joy mm-hmm. and that's, and that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I, I love that kink can be so expansive and include yeah. everyone. And, and I don't, I'm not trying to create some sort of like linear scale of like hierarchy where a light spanking or calling your lover daddy is one end and then hanging from a hook is another, that's definitely not it because uh, to do that would be to just kind of squash everything else that's just beautiful and glorious about kink. But I think, yeah, there are ranges, but, but all of it is, all of it is good. And uh, I still don't quite understand sort of, you know, what is considered kinky, I mean, vanilla for me, it basically consists of acts that are okay in a PG-13 movie. Like, that's kind of my definition of vanilla. And that's really narrow. It's really, really narrow. (laughs) It's basically penetrative sex and kissing. I wrote this feminist guide to BDSM for Rebellious Magazine, and I stole two quotes of BDSM and kink from um, people I love. So in their new bottoming book, Dossie, what is Dossie's last name? Easton. Yeah. And um, and Janet Hardy. Hardy. Uh, interestingly, define S&M as play, theater, communication, intimacy, sexuality. Mm. It combines the child's urge for make-believe with the adult's ability to take responsibility and the adult's mm. privilege of sexual reward. So yeah, no, that's that's where it came uh, from. Yeah, I uh, I missed that. I missed that um, when I was kind of giving that same kind of right. definition before. Like the response, the the adult sense of responsibility really is essential in that. It's not just yeah, it's not just yeah. kids playing with adult toys. There's there's that extra layer that's very essential there. But yeah, and in playing well with others, Mo Williams and Lee Harrington they define kink as shorthand for. The great big world of sexual adventure, including but not limited to 
voyeurism, exhibitionism, fetishism, fantasy role-playing, cross-dressing, power exchange, swinging, leather identity, erotic restraint, consensual Mm -hmm. non-monogamy, naughty sex, and BDSM between consenting adults. In short, the realm of sexuality perceived to be outside the mainstream. So a lot of ground. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. It's so much more vast and glorious and beautiful than this narrow select few items that are okay you know within society yeah it's like the ice there's like this tiny it's not even like an iceberg analogy it's or metaphor it's um it's even more extreme than that because you know an iceberg you can see quite a bit above and Mm -hmm. you know knowing that it's there's a bunch below but with it feels like with vanilla I don't know what we're talking about. I guess we're specifically talking about sex because there's so much more going on in the kink world as far as like, yeah, there's the sex stuff, but then there's everything else. Um, yeah. I I think yeah. it, I think when we talk about kink, like, well, we're redefining sex to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. We're redefining what's erotic. There is nearly always an erotic connection, right? Like it's not just like romantic relationships. Like you don't know. You, I don't know that we ever describe like a a romantic relationship is kinky unless it we're doing something kinky in that relationship, right? Right, right. You're like you're reenacting like toxic attachments. Your relationship, your dynamic is based on like toxic codependency, which mm-hmm. is really fun. Really, really fun. It reminds me of a scene in 30 Rock where I don't I don't remember the characters' names. There's the 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 blonde character that's sort of the like the slut in the show you know and then she ends up dating this cross-dresser that like likes to dress like her hmm. and they so they get into this really committed relationship and then they start to just like have like a normal relationship you know like where they watch yeah. TV and go to bed and they, <laughs> yeah. they they become terrified of it and they're like oh we're normalizing and they like turn it into a kink to be okay uh-huh. with it you know, and I just, I love it so much, you know, it's, oh. I, I have not watched 30 Rock, but now it makes yeah. me want to watch, I, now I kind of want to find that and, and watch, that's really funny. I love it. And then, yeah, you know what, I won't ruin the, the rest of it then for you, but like, um, <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, there, I think there are some of us that are like, oh, dear God, I don't want normal, you know, <laughs> and can be terrified of it when, it, I mean, it's actually, it's not that it's not that anything that's conventional is bad it's that right yeah you know what i'm going for yeah yeah the, the how how kink relationships look sometimes they look completely vanilla but there's this underlying agreement that you know every sunday they go out and swap partners with another couple or whatever, or, you know, there, there's an agreement where that one of them always has to ask before they can have an orgasm, you know, this sort of like, Hey, the rest of their relationship looks pretty normal, but there's this tweak, but I, you know, I, I look at my own relationships. I'm not in, I mean, I have uh, play partners, but I don't have any real, I mean, COVID's done a number on all of us, but mm-hmm. I don't have any, I don't have any, um, I'm not in any uh, dynamics right now because I really like 24 seven play. 
And a lot of time, you know, if somebody would look at us, they wouldn't say like, oh my God, like they're totally a kinky couple. They're right. um, I think, but I think that what, what's going on there is, you know, one, you still have to go to work and pay your bills and participate in society, you know, get your kids from school, go see your grandparents, you know, whatever. And I think in 24 seven relationships specifically, sustaining your role as the dark Lord. I know I keep bringing up the dark Lord. I don't know why I keep saying dark Lord, but um, I think I've said it several times now, but you know, you can't maintain that all the time. It's hard. Maintaining that role is difficult and it's more fun for me as somebody who enjoys 24 seven play to integrate all of my kinks in just to who I am. You can still, within 24-7 relationships, you can still, or dynamics, you can still do scenes and so on. But, you know, a lot of the more successful relationships that I've seen and the better ones that I've had are when all of our kinks are integrated into the relationship in a sort of variety of sliding scale ways where, you know, one time I had somebody wear diapers under their pants once. Nobody knew what was going on, but he knew. <laughs> he knew he was wearing one. But it's it's like it's kind of like kinky people are like double agents in the vanilla world. We're sly motherfuckers. <laughs> We're doing things that a lot of society just doesn't want to look at or understand. So, you know, in order to be safe, we disguise them. Safe being the sort of that's sort of extreme example. I think a lot of times uh, kink has become a lot more mainstream. Depends on the kink, Not, right? Yeah. It depends on the kink. I think a lot of times people would think even like a diaper would just be like, absolutely not. But you know, it's this object that exists for people to pee in it. And what, <laughs> since I don't need them, if I wear them, then that's somehow problematic. Right. Um, right. All right. I could keep we could both keep talking about this forever but i think i'm gonna end it here on the diapers Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's a good place to end it yeah once again thank you so much for doing this it it has been delightful and i think we just covered fresh ground so i really appreciate (laughs) it uh it's been uh really fun talking about this with you um as always you're a delight to talk with thank you 